haven't got my glasses on. Have you got your bell off? Yeah. <laughs> you remembered one of the two? Yeah, I remembered. <laughs> I remembered. Look at you having a memory occasionally, remembering things. Phoenix totally didn't just, like, reach around my neck and take it off before we started recording while I was going, what are they doing? What are they doing? Oh. Bless Look, them. If if you found someone in your life that will remember for you, that's the same as remembering in my book. Exactly. Get yourself a partner that will take your collar off before you do a podcast. That's the first <laughs> thing I look for in any relationship. Will you, A, put one on me to begin with, and then B, remember <laughs> to take it off when I do podcasts, please? I mean, that that is, that is a, I think that's a very, you know, a low bar. That's a, that's a very reasonable thing to want in a relationship. Right? Yeah. I don't ask for much. Just a collar and then for it to be taken off once a week. <laughs> My glasses are over on the other side of the room. I can just about make them out as a blur. I technically don't need them to do a podcast. You're doing that thing of the, my glasses, my glasses, I can't find my glasses without my glasses. The Velma routine seems to be going on here. Right? Too far away from the glasses to see the glasses, oh no. Oh god, you've scared me now, Laura. What if I end up on on the floor, right? On my hands and knees, right? right? Feeling around on the floor, right? And then I feel something, like, uh, like a foot, and then I look up, and it is a suit of armor that is walking around on its own. Ooh. Classic Jinkies scenario. It's okay because it'll turn out to just be old man Jenkins trying to save the factory or something. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I could just kick him off a sh- off, off a ledge. <laughs> yeah, I'll just be an old man. Just kick him off a fucking ledge. <laughs> why didn't they do? Why didn't? Right. Let's finally put the world to rights here. Okay. <laughs> Why did the Scooby gang never just fucking kick him off a ledge? That's the real mystery. Right? Yeah. Oh no, it's a fucking scarecrow. Kick it off the ledge, it's probably a bloke. (laughs) And even if it's not a bloke, it's made of straw. Kick it off a ledge. Kick it off a fucking ledge. Even if it's not just a bloke, like... In that case, it's a monster. Push it off a ledge. Right? I mean, in in terms of monsters, scarecrow is... Pretty non-threatening. They're actually really not a problem. Just throw a lit match at yeah. it. They even know it's not a problem because there's that spooky scarecrow in the beginning of the intro sequence to Scooby and Scrappy Doo. You know the one that goes Scooby, Scrappy Dappy Doo, oh, Scooby, Scrappy Dappy Doo. Right. I love that one. And there's that bit where there is a scarecrow and it is scary, but then it falls over and the head rolls and goes. I don't know why I remember this. I can't remember to do one thing that I need to do for this podcast every single week so it doesn't sound shit. But I can remember when Scrappy-Doo came out of a scarecrow's head. Yeah. It's all about priorities. It's all about priorities. I I don't even like Scooby-Doo. I don't like most Hanna-Barbera stuff. Now, Conrad may be familiar with this. I don't know how many times I've ranted about it on podcasts over the years in his presence. But aside from Tom and Jerry, I have a real problem with most Hanna-Barbera's output. First of all, half of it isn't Hanna-Barbera's output. No. They just stole the characters and jokes from sitcoms. Yeah, they just stole other comedians' bits. Let's just do Sergeant Bilko. Oh, but it's okay because he's a cat. 
That's just mm. theft. That's just plagiarism. Most of what Hanna-Barbera does is plagiarism, right? And as if that's not bad enough, they then plagiarised themselves by doing kids' versions of the fucking shows. And then they did things like Tom and Jerry... And then they did another one about a cat that violently fought mice. The one that hate nieces to pieces. It was basically the same fucking concept. Hacks. My problem with Scooby-Doo, I've said it before, and by God, I'll say it again. It wasn't scary. It wasn't funny. What was the fucking point? Be one of the two. The one with Sonny and Cher in it was okay. (laughs) There was a bit where Shaggy says that, like, they're on the beach because it's like about like like bipedal sharks coming after Sonny and Cher. I mean, that's a fucking premise right there. Oh. But there's a bit where 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 Shaggy and Scooby are on the beach, and you know Scooby's going <laughs> like all of that bollocks, and then Shaggy's like, um, I'll, I'll try and do my world-winning impersonation of Shaggy. Hey, man. Uh, he, he's, that's all I can do and it doesn't sound like him um, but he's on the beach and he says there's a lot of sand which is hey wait a minute a lot of sandwiches and then they go and eat sa- a big club sandwich love it I played Pokemon this week yeah I'm getting that in there because I'm worried we won't get to that if I don't if I don't just jump in and do it yep we got it we got a motor today yeah this is this is Pokemon I've played 60 hours in a week of that new Pokemon. Jesus. Yeah, I really fucking like this video game. It's a really fucking neat video game. Tell us about it. Okay, so Nintendo, up until like the day that we record this, have have said like fucking nothing publicly about what this game actually is, despite it being two days from release. And that seems like a bad sign, but it's an it's a really good game. It takes the Pokemon formula. It strips away a lot of the competitive multiplayer with other people tournamenty stuff, and instead focuses on big grand adventures to go actually have a big adventure to go cl- finish your Pokedex and collect all your Pokemon. The structure of it is that it's very Monster Hunter in its structure. You are in a big hub town where you prepare for missions, you do crafting, buy resources, do pick up quests, and then you go to one of five big expansive areas it's not a like full open world but like these are bigger in scope and like there's more to explore than say like a typical monster hunter rise zone for example and you are just sort of left to go go on these excursions going and doing missions going and collecting all your pokemon in a big sort of not handholdy just go explore kind of way pokemon wander around on the overworld it's very breath of the wild-esque overworld design. I'm pretty certain that the Breath of the Wild team worked on some of the overworld design on this. Pokemon are all wandering around, they all behave differently. You've got your like Bidoof, your beginner um thing that you find right at the beginning of the game will sort of come up to you like an excited puppy and be like, I have no fear, catch me, I don't care. You've got, you know, stuff that'll be skittish, you've, you've got stuff that'll be aggressive, and you can either catch them through traditional turn-based battles, or by stealth and action mechanics, by crouching and going through foliage and not being seen and trying to sneak up and third-person throw Pokeballs at Pokemon, all towards the aim of ultimately filling out this Pokedex that, unlike previous games in the series, is not, you know, you caught one, there you are, you're done. 
each Pokemon has its own little series of tasks to do to properly research it. And, you know, some of them would be like, you know, catch, catch a few of them. But it might also be things like, go find the various forms of this Pokemon. Like, it comes in three different types. Go find all three different types. Go do this side quest to learn more about them. See them using this move a certain number of times. See them evolve. And it sort of encourages you to actually spend time engaging with specific Pokemon rather than just... That one's not strong, I'm not bothering. Yeah, or this doesn't fit into my normal team strategy, so I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Or just, I caught one, I technically have one, why would I ever pay attention to it again? Yeah. Like, the bulk of the structure of the game is around going and being a researcher, and, like, going and actually filling out information on these Pokémon in the world and watching how they, they interact with each other and... It seems so obvious. Right? There's a bunch of, like, mechanical stuff they've done that's nice to this in terms of, like, the combat and how it functions. Turn-based battles are still there if you want to do them. They are a lot more fast-paced. There's no more, like, loading. Everything is very quick to get going. It happens exactly where you are on the, the open-world map. It doesn't load to a fake zone. There's some neat new mechanics of things like, rather than having a guaranteed uh, back-and-forth one-turn-each structure... Um, you can now play around with the turn order to try and get additional attacks in in a row by doing moves in different styles. Uh, every move can be done either as a regular move or as an agile or strong variant that uses up twice as much, essentially twice as much mana, but in exchange will either be faster and weaker or slower and stronger. So there's this back and forth balance of, okay, the strong variant of this attack might be enough to one-hit kill that enemy, but if it's not, I'm going to open myself up to getting attacked multiple times in a row before I get another turn. Maybe I do a few agile moves to move myself up in the turn order and save that strong one for when I think I can get the one-hit kill, which adds a really nice little bit of extra detail to battles that I think plays out really nicely. There are big action-themed boss battles that were surprisingly challenging. It is not a perfect game, by any means. The biggest issue I have with it is that you can get attacked as a trainer by wild Pokemon that get angry at you, and you've got your, your dodge roll you can try and keep out of the way. If you are knocked out as a trainer, you will drop a bunch of items that you cannot on your own go and recover. If you are playing while online, other players can go and recover your items for you, but you can't go back to the place where you were knocked out and get those items back. And that, you know, wasn't a huge problem for me, but the couple of times it did happen, it was really frustrating. Um, I took to swapping to manual saves only, so that if that happened, I could just reset my save, because I couldn't be asked. But, like, it is a big, sprawling, adventurous Pokemon game that isn't about going down a bunch of linear routes and fighting the eight gyms and defeating the evil team and becoming the person in charge of the, uh, you know, beating the Elite Four. It is a big, sprawling, ambitious, fast-paced Pokemon game, and I really dig this as a direction for the series. It is the most that Pokemon has actually tried to do something new and creative in a long time, and I think it really sticks the landing. It's bloody good. Tell me. Yeah. Laura. Yeah. Kate Dale. About the online. I am curious. So, the only online functionality is 
trading with other players. Oh, for Christ's sake, Laura K. Dale. Yeah, because I I know that like when we were talking a little last uh, last week, like one of the things that you were like hoping for was co-op. Well, yeah, like you've sh- you've been showing me a fair bit of the game, like as you've been playing it, little bits and bobs. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, I got very excited when you mentioned there was a farm and you could just hang out with Pokemon at it. That is very good. And I was curious since they've, you know, aped so much from Monster Hunter. <laughs> or should I say prime aped so much from Monster oh. Hunter? <laughs> yeah. It's it's a real shame that there is no co-op because it does feel like it feels pro- it feels like it would be such a good fit for that. I would like it. And if they do another of these in the future, I would love to see that added. It ain't here. One other really nice thing about this, just as someone that doesn't do well with other people, it's a Pokemon game where you can get every Pokemon in the Pokedex without ever having to trade. You never have to trade with anyone to com- to get every Pokemon in this. It's alright. All the ones that like trade by evolving, you can get items to evolve them now. All of the Pokemon are in the one game. I appreciate that. Stop selling us the same game twice. Yeah, it's, it's about time we could do a ditch in that con. I mean, once they do another tradition one, we know they're going to fucking go back to it. But yeah, it's nice a nice novel treat. It is. But, like, I've been having such a good time with this game. Like, I didn't anticipate, like, how much story-based side quest content there would be to do. I, one of the things I really like about it is how much every time you do a side quest, it builds into this feeling of you building up this this hub town you keep re- returning to. Like, you might be going and catching a certain Pokemon because the farmers on the field want to have some help plowing the fields, and if you yeah. go do that quest and get them that Pokemon... Now you can generate extra resources between missions because they've got a bigger farmland now. I like that kind of thing. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's like, oh, this old woman has got a wind chime Pokemon is hanging out near her house and she's a bit scared of it. Go on a quest to learn about this wind chime Pokemon so you can teach her about it so it's less scary because she knows about it now. Like, it all feels contextualised in, oh, I see how this is building towards this world understanding and living alongside Pokemon. And it's really, it's it's a nice, it feels nice. It's all right. Yeah. I'm probably going to get it. I yeah. was, I, 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 until you showed me more of it, I'd only really seen the first trainer. So, you know, Nintendo wasn't showing much. They weren't showing much at all. Yeah, they've played this close to the chest, um, which I know you've had many thoughts on. I have many complicated thoughts on them, what they've been going for here, but it's a bloody good game. I've binged 60 hours of it in less than a week. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna get it. It is exactly my jam. Yeah. Because I've complained with uh, the Diamond and Pearl remakes what came out last. Like, there's a lot about Tradish Pokemon that I am now officially sick of after all this time. The over-explanatory text boxes that occur time after time telling me I put the I picked up the item and I put the item in my items pocket. Like, I don't need to be told that every single fucking time, you oh. fucking rifle. Like, there's so much time-wasty stuff that because the game is has been largely the same, I'm so ground down by it now. So this is the kind of thing I really need. For those kind of things, so many of those time-wasting things have been really, really streamlined in a nice quality of life way. 
you know when you level up in a Pokemon and you have to watch like every Pokemon's experience go up and ding and you learned a new move, do you want to learn it now? What do you want to forget? Oh, it's ready to evolve. It's evolving now. Mash B if you don't want it to evolve. Yeah. All of that stripped completely. All right. All of your Pokemon incredibly quickly level up on a very unobtrusive thing on the side of the screen when you do a level up. It's very quick. It's to the side. It's out of the way. Doesn't stop the action to do. If you learn a new move or are ready to evolve, it doesn't do it then and there. It it pings up a little very quick message that goes, ready to learn a new move or ready to evolve. And then when you're ready, you go in the menu and learn the new move or evolve it. Right, that's... The kind of shit the series is desperately fucking, or at least I've desperately fucking needed from the series. Stop the stoppy starty shit. Exactly. Like, so so much of this is just really nice little quality of life changes I really hope come to the next mainline Pokemon game. Stuff like, if you forget a move to learn a new one in your set of four and then go, ah, oh, fuck, I, I, I shouldn't have got rid of that one. You can just in, at any point go in your menu and reteach a move if you're not in a fight that you forgot earlier or didn't learn earlier. As long as you're not mid-fight, you can just swap your moves around from all the ones they ever could have learned. Alright. Like, stuff like that is so... Like, the kind of quality of life stuff Pokemon has needed for so long. So yeah, Pokemon, Pokemon's pretty good. Either of you played anything? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I played some stuff. Um... A bit of a role reversal with Steph doing all the Game Pass stuff. I've been browsing the Switch a bit <gasps> and, and availing myself of uh, things that are deeply discounted. And uh, I picked up uh, Gods Remastered. Do you know Gods? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know Gods. Yeah, I thought you might be familiar. I used to play it a lot as a child because my granddad was the only one in the family with a proper PC for a long time because he's always been into, com or, you know, was uh, R.I.P., always been into computers. So he had, like, the original Duke Nukem, the side-scroller, Commander Keen, and Gods. And, yeah, played the shit out of Gods. And I, too, got the remaster when it first came out and played that for a minute. Yep. <laughs> what did you think of it? <laughs> Well, that's but it's reflective of my general experience with gods more broadly, uh, because I have attempted to play gods on various platforms multiple times throughout the years, and I always found it to be just sort of a stodgy, directionless, oh my yes, kind of you know ugly thing. Well, not ugly visually; it was always really appealing. It's part of why I kept coming back to it because the the graphics were fun. Yeah. But it just, the movement is this horribly stodgy yeah. thing, and the reaction times are terrible for button presses and turnaround is awful. This is mildly better than, than it, because if for no other reason than it has some clearer signposting on how shit works right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, the other, the updated visual style, I, I don't hate. Yeah, I do like the... With just a button press, you can go back to the old one. Yes, I like that a lot. That is fun. You can do a quick compare. That's nice. And for the 99 cents I spent to play it, well worth the investment just to see. Just to know. That's the rub. Yep. Uh, it's, not, it's not a very good game. Nah. But at least now I know that I wasn't wrong in my earlier assessments throughout the years that it's yeah. not a very good game. <laughs> That close-up character art of the main character, though, that's not a man. That's just a slab. Yep. 
I fucking love it. I post it on Twitter sometimes, like just <laughs> randomly, because it's just like like his his pecs have abs. Yes, it's ridiculous. It's fucking ridiculous. <sighs> so yeah, <sighs> I, I played that. What about you, Steph? Me? Oh, well. I played, uh, Nissa sent me a code. I don't often get codes anymore because I've burnt almost every single fucking bridge in the game industry. But they sent me a code for a game called Labyrinth Legend, which is, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Yeah? It'll do. It'll do. It's, like, the most no-frills dungeon crawler you could hope to get. Like, it's just... Here are some weapons, here is a dungeon, here are some monsters, here is some loot. Knock yourself out, you fucking prick. That's about it. Like that's that's what it is. It it's very good for streaming. It's one of those games that's very good for streaming because it's so low mental engagement. Yeah. Uh I found it very useful because right now I'm um I'm at Phoenix's looking for my own place and there's a lot of chaos and everything and also a lot of social interaction uh, or at least, you know, people sharing a space and doing like parallel yeah. play kind of stuff, their own thing. Um, so it's something I can have where I don't need really to listen to it, even though it's got very good music. It's got a very good soundtrack. But if I'm grinding, I don't have to listen to it. I can have the volume like quiet or off and just grind so I can still, you know, do that while other people are doing things, but we're still, like, can still engage with each other at the same time, you know? Yeah. So it's very good for that. It's very good for streaming. It's solid. It's it's not mind-blowing, but it's got some nice, you know, it's got a selection of weapons, hammers and swords, and it's got a really good whip. Whips, I like, I've always liked whips conceptually, but they're almost always shit in video games, unless you're playing Castlevania. I was very disappointed when I got um, one in Dark Souls and I was like, oh, this is fucking useless. So many of them just make them really weak, almost joke weapons. This one, just massive radius, really good. Uh, so that's fun. I've decided I want to learn whip stuff in real life, like whip tricks and things. Um, I think that'd be fun. But anyway, that's apropos of nothing. Um, there's boomerangs as a weapon as well. And I got one that acts like a saw blade. So that's fucking great. Happy with that. Yeah, it's very fine. Visually, I'm not. It it looks like a sort of browser MMO, mm. like an older browser MMO visually. So it's not super appealing in that department, which really contrasts against how good the music is. But yeah, I would say that's one of them ones where, like, I'm playing it on the Switch. It's perfect for the Switch. Uh, I would say keep an eye on the the great deals section on the eShop, which is you know. I swear by that fucking place. Mm -hmm. I'm on the great deal section in the eShop all the time looking for, like, as you say, Conrad, like 99 cent games. Yep. Um, you know, that's where I got that Warlock of Firetop Mountain for like three bucks. Yeah. The, the like, if this is shit, I've not lost much. Yeah. Like, I don't even regret buying Red Faction Gorilla because it was $3. And I've been, as I've been playing more of that, I remembered how much I fucking hate that. Oh, it's a game about knocking buildings over with a hammer. Let's have the buildings fall on you and kill you, you fucker. That was exactly your commentary on it two, three weeks ago. Yes. Yep. Yes. I am aware. <laughs> I will I will say it every fucking time. I will say it next week as well. No, I won't. I'll forget. Uh, but, yeah. That's all right. Labyrinth Agent. It's yeah. fine. I would, at, at the right price, that's a worthy little Switch distraction. 
Nice. Nice. I've pulled my headphones out. Oh, no. Oh, oh no. Hang on. Quick, say nice things about Steph. <laughs> Steph's so beautiful. I could hear you. It just came through the speakers. It might oh. might throw the listeners off. Oh, I'll say it anyway. You're wonderful. You're lovely. Oh, <laughs> oh you're all right as well, Laura. You are lovely. You are oh, cute. And you. I enjoyed watching Cube with you the other day. Laura oh, yeah. and I do a little film thing where we watch a film because um, it helps me concentrate. Yeah, well, sometimes watch a film together. Yeah. It's been a nice time. <laughs> he was... Very amused by us watching Cube. Yeah. Because they were like, you two discuss themes. <laughs> I just watch films and you're there discussing the themes. <laughs> we were talking about the portrayal of, of you know, how um, unhelpful the attitude of a cop is in a high stress situation, as is presented in Cube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not a perfect film, but it's, no. an in- it's an interesting one. It's an interesting film. Uh, I hadn't seen it. Uh, I'm very glad Laura introduced me to it. It was very good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and Conrad, I miss you so much. Oh, While I miss we're doing you the too. lovelies, Aww. I miss you much. I miss you much. I haven't watched Dynamite since I left. <laughs> Neither have I. <laughs> haven't watched. Haven't watched it. Yes, uh, Laura, have you played anything else, or has it all been a? Well, I know you played some Train Simulator, but. Anything else? I played a little bit of Train yeah. Simulator, but it's just been Pokemon. It's Pokemon. It's Pokemon all the time. That's fair enough. All of the Pokemon. Fair enough. So much Pokemon. I played. I played too much Pokemon. I can have my shiny Pokemon be on a little farm in town, and I go and visit the farm, That's and they're all great. there, happy and playing. Aww. I am obviously. Let's just get the obligatory upset at the lack of Ekans out the way. Oh yeah, mm. of course. I won't say that what I've seen. <laughs> Replaces Ekans, not by a long shot, but it'll do. I mean, if you're looking for something in the snake department, there sure is something new in the snake department. There will be a certain specialist website that I'll be looking forward to (laughs) seeing seeing content of involving that. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy enough Uh, with that. uh... Conrad, you're murmuring. Have either of you played anything else? Yeah, I played a, a couple of other things. Um, so something that popped up on Game Pass, and I really probably should have looked to see when it actually released, but there's a game on there right now called Paparazzi. Oh, yes. Oh, I saw that the other day. I was tempted by it. Is it good? I have played it for about 45 minutes, if that. Uh, it is delightful. Yeah. It is a game where you are on an island full of dogs already good and you take pictures of the dogs yeah in a pokemon snap type scenario mm-hmm. you are the paparazzi you're given objectives by various dogs and humanoid robots that populate the island and serve the needs of the dogs is gordon ramsay on it i'm not confirmed yet but I'm on the hunt. All right, keep an eye out because you know you know he's got a tendency to hang out on islands full of dogs. That's right. Dogs are in various outfits doing adorable things. I took a photo of a dog riding on a bicycle. <laughs> Charming as fuck. None of the dogs have articulation in their legs, so they just hop around, which is fantastic. <laughs> There's a huge variety of them, just even in the introductory zone that you start in, there's easily a dozen dogs. Obviously, you can pet all the dogs. You do have to unlock that, but you do it immediately. You have to unlock petting the dog? 
You have to unlock petting the dog by taking a photo of a dog. Uh Oh. And then you can start petting dogs. Brilliant. When you pet dogs, they'll follow you around so you can take them to where you need them to position them for shots. Uh, You can pick up objects and throw them and they'll play fetch. It's delightful. Mm. Just delightful. As you go along, you can buy different film types. There's a black and white one. There's some other one that I haven't bought yet. Uh, you get more lenses for your camera. And you just hang out with dogs and take pictures of them and pet them. And there's multiple zones. And each zone has different time cycles to be in so that you can, you know, see dogs doing different things in the same place at different times. It's great. I'm so happy. I, like, in just the brief time I've had with it, it is going to be an escape. And I'm really looking forward to playing more paparazzi. Oh, yeah. that sounds lovely. That's just a good time. Yay. It's delightful. Steph, you play anything else? I played the spiritual opposite of paparazzi <laughs> this week. Oh, no. I played the, the classic Visceral Games title. Dante's Inferno. Oh, I played that recently. Oh, oh my, yes. What a pathetic game, <laughs> right? Like, as a game, as as an action game, it's all right. It's pretty good, actually, looking back. Yeah, as an action game, it's competent. Uh, you know, it, it got a lot of dings back in the day for being, like, it was seen as, as a God of War ripoff. Um, it, it feel, yeah, in the, at the time, it felt very derivative, which it was. And it is. I mean, it's... Looking back, it is... I Was it the eighth console generation or the sixth? It was one of the two. Seventh, I think. Seventh. Well, okay, it was not one of the two. Uh, but the 360 PS3 era, it that was a pathetic generation in terms of creativity. I'll agree with that. Yeah, and, and Dante's Inferno encapsulates so much of it, not just mechanically with, like, the, the fucking tawdry QTEs that are there just to be there and make no sense, like, the, the input doesn't match the action and they ambush mm-hmm. you and all of that shit, but what video game developers thought grown-up was back then. What mature themes were. Yeah, and it, and mature is the word I want to mention because I want to bring up what Jonathan Holmes used to do. Uh, Jonathan Holmes, uh, Conrad and I's good friend and uh, former colleague in games media, part of our podcast Boston's Favourite Son. General, just lovely lad. Just an absolute sweetheart. But yeah, back in the day, around this time, Jonathan would refuse to call M-rated games mature-rated games, mm-hmm. which I think was a lovely message to send, um, because he had a massive fucking point, and he had a good point here as well. Yeah, they're not mature. They are childish. Yeah. They are acting like children pretending to be adults. It's, oh, we can get away with putting boobs in games these days. <gasps> Let's do lots of Oh, we can we can do a murder and say a swear. Oh, but these are babies. What you fight? Oh, <gasps> oh, that's that's quite rude. And it, in many ways, like that generation was gaming's edgy teenager phase, and that drips in this game because it is so fucking moody, and not moody in an atmospheric way. I mean, moody in a fucking moody way. What a drab, miserable fucking game. It's the era of video games that was trying very hard to be Mum would be so disappointed if she saw me playing this. Yes, to the point, because 
Fee James and myself were talking about it last night. Like we were talking about the ridiculous PR campaigns and stuff behind oh Dante's Inferno, oh like where God, they sent yeah. checks to games journalists and a box that played um, Rick Astley to a couple of in- like people. Isn't that the one? With th- didn't they stage a protest against their own game at E3? Yeah, it was. They staged a Christian protest against Dante's Inferno, and Christian groups did not protest the game, but they did think the protest that EA made up was offensive. It was in poor taste. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it was yeah. pathetic. It it was pathetic, and I say this being quite entertained by Dante's Inferno as a game. Like I said, it's actually rock solid, and there is some. The the environments are creative, a bit drab in places. They could have stood to have varied up the circles of hell more than they do, but the gluttony one is really good. Like just these these prized open moors, like like and and just just filth everywhere, uh, and just dripping flesh. Like it's really quite cool, but at the same time, it's like oh, there is a big Cleopatra and. She's got tits with tongues for nipples, and sometimes the tongues go in and babies come out. And you're like, okay. Yeah. It's like yeah. watching a Lars von Trier film. It's like, okay, you've done something gross. I feel nothing. So, yeah, it's, um, it is, it's funny to look back on this one where, like, it's try hard. It's so try hard. But it's still a good game. I'm still enjoying playing it. And I'm getting not the entertainment visceral, like the entertainment value visceral wanted from it, but I am getting entertainment value from it. But like, it speaks also to like when they wanted these like dark anti hero protagonists as well. And it's like, I don't sympathize with this character at all. And I know in part that's the point. Yeah. But it's so thickly layered on that I'm just, I'd rather not play as this character because I don't want them to progress anywhere in life. They're horrible and they've done nothing to redeem themselves. Plus, looking back and seeing, you know, how video games have limped along uh, in terms of what they're willing to explore... Missing the point of the satire of Dante's Inferno and missing the chance to really examine redemption and punishment, it it, it can be frustrating playing it where all these people are in hell and the game isn't really questioning it. Yeah. It's like, oh, you get a chance to save them, but it doesn't explain, you know, that it no one deserves to be there. Yeah. It's, it's surface level aesthetics and nothing more. Yeah. But as something that's on Game Pass, as a a real, real embodiment of that generation, of, of the moody teenage phase of video games, uh, I think it's a very nice artefact. It's a fascinating crystallisation of a certain time in games. Indeed. Uh, so yeah, yeah, uh, that's about it. I, I've played more Anvil, the roguelike shooter that I mentioned last week. Um, I'll play a bit more and talk, maybe talk about it more next week because we've got a lot of news to press on with. But yeah, it, it, I'm really getting quite taken with that one. And again, it's on Game Pass, so might be worth checking out for folks. I do have one more real quick I want to oh, okay. touch on. Um, yeah. There's a, a game I grabbed on the Switch called Super Star Path. This is by DYA Games, and I, I think it might be the first game they put out back in 2015. 
this is a developer that I frequently come across their games and wind up buying them cheap and loving them. All of their games are combinations of retro game mechanics mashed together to make something that's a little different. Uh, the kinds of things that you kind of wish it had been considered at the time of 16-bit games to go in some new directions and experiment more with combining forms. This one, Super Star Path, is like a combination almost of a Puyo Pop-style block puzzle game with a top-down vertical scrolling shooter. And it's fascinating. Hmm. The way it works is you have a ship that you control, and it's just like a vertical scrolling shooter. You got a little gun that shoots forward, and waves of aliens are moving towards you, and it takes one hit to kill any of the aliens. But when you hit one, any next to it of the same color will explode, like in a block-breaking puzzle game, right? But ones that aren't connected to it will transform into unbreakable blocks. Ah. I'm looking at some footage now. This looks fun. It's interesting. You have to navigate your way through these paths to eventually make it to the boss of the area, and then that becomes a more traditional bullet hell shooter. Mm -hmm. Along the way, there are special aliens that drop special items, like Any normal alien, when they detonate, you get gems in their place and you can collect those and that's your money that you can then spend to buy new ships and other upgrade stuff. But the special ones drop the items necessary to upgrade the aspects of your ship and the larger goal of the game is to find the three in every stage that drop the special emeralds that you are trying to collect all of to solve this energy crisis. It's neat and hard as balls. Like, it is not fucking around. It takes a while. Uh, it took me a good solid half hour just to get the hang of figuring out how to start navigating through levels. I, lo- I must have lost eight times before getting to a boss and had to upgrade a ship in the process to one that would allow me to avoid the damage from one specific enemy type because I just couldn't deal with them fast enough. Over time, I will think faster and faster and be able to assess this more efficiently, and I'm sure I will be able to carve through both the standard progression enemies and these little moving ones operating inside. But boy, it's it's stressful, but it's really well designed. Um, Like all of the games that this developer has made. This is the hardest of theirs that I've played, for sure. Mm-hmm. Bot Vice uh, is another one they've done, which is sort of an arena gallery shooter. That's very cool. And uh, Strikey Sisters, which is a sort of uh, Arkanoid-type block breaker. That's also really good. Uh, anyway, so check out their games. They've got a couple more that I- I'm going to go uh, peek into, because I-, I keep forgetting they exist. Uh, DYA Games. They make good stuff. Neat. Cool. But that's it. That's it. Let's let's do some news real quick. Let's let's crack through some news quick. So um, there's been a bunch of news to do with uh, Activision Blizzard King and the uh, better ABK folks uh, this last week. Really? Activision's been keeping its head down these past couple months. I'm I'm shocked. There's news about them. Yeah. So we'll we'll rattle through a bunch of connected stories here for a second. So mm-hmm. QA testers at Raven Software have announced their intent to unionize. 
this is great. This is wonderful. This is a step towards unionization in a major studio in the US. So specifically, like, to be clear, they do not yet have a finalized union, but we do know that they have overwhelming, um, like, percentage-wise support for the union within their staff. Uh, the unionization efforts are supported by a supermajority of Raven uh, Software QA staff, around 78% of all eligible workers. That is a majority. That is a supermajority that is enough to pass things through. Right. Yeah, so... There's a lot of stuff about whether or not this will go through. The first stage of this maybe going through would have been if Activision Blizzard had voluntarily recognised the union, because that's the first step they have up until a certain point to go, yep, we will just, without fighting it, we will accept that you are a union. And surprise, surprise, Activision Blizzard King did not do that. Oh! Yeah. Without the threat of regulation or strong-arming, the corporation didn't do something that would be good. Yeah, like, their response to it was, you know, we we were going to hear your concerns and we were going to reiterate that we think you're better off as individual workers not having collective bargaining power that's actually bad for you, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, because it's worked out so well for the workers at Activision up until now, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the the newly formed Game Workers Alliance, which is the the group that will hopefully be this union, uh, shared its five core principles of solidarity, sustainability, transparency, equity, and diversity. You can read in depth, but basically all the things that the better ABK folks have been asking for already in terms of making a better workplace, get rid of crunch, communicate properly with people, treat QA staff like as a proper part of development and not shoved off in a basement doing crunch, have proper diversity in hiring. So yeah, great first step. And part of this is that Raven Software, alongside this, have ended their QA strike, dot dot dot, pending the results of unionization. Awesome. Basically, they are not striking currently, but that could change should Activision Blizzard fight them tooth and nail and not recognise their uh, their union. I like that if this all leads where we're hoping it's leading... It gets to be Activision's fault that unionization came to games. Yeah, Bobby Kotick gets to be responsible for the first union in a major video game studio in the United States. That'll be down to Bobby. <laughs> so yeah, the, f- the final bit of that news is Raven Software union bid pushes on, despite Activision Blizzard missing deadline to respond. Big surprise. Yeah. That's not the end of them trying to, trying to push for a union. The short version is that now... They have had to go to the National Labour Relations Board, which is an independent government agency, and go, hey, we have we have the, the votes for a, for a union. Help us make a union. We are legally uh, allowed to do this. Help us do it. Activision Blizzard's still like, we're deeply disappointed that Raven Software, blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah, just waffling on, waffling on being terrible. Lots of sticking to the stock line of we deeply respect the rights of all employees to make decisions about whether or not to join a union while not acknowledging their union. Yeah, typical shit. It is, it's dragging the feet, but there is a legitimate attempt to create a union within Raven Software, within Activision Blizzard. Fingers fucking crossed. This is everything... Well, not everything, but this is the first step to everything this fucking industry has needed. Indeed. I cross my fucking fingers hoping for them. I really hope it works out. 
There's some other little bits of Activision Blizzard stuff this week. In a story that will surprise fucking no one, there was an internal meeting on the 20th of January at Activision Blizzard with uh, where people could ask questions to CEO Bobby Kotick about the recent Microsoft acquisition. Mm -hmm. According to reports by the Washington Post, employees were left frustrated. What? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to summarise this meeting. It took place over a video conference. It was billed as 30 minutes, but only actually 16 minutes long. Woof. Well, Bobby Kotick's got to get back to doing nothing with his day. Well, exactly. That's That would be why Kotick rolled up seven minutes late for the 16 minutes of 30 minutes and failed to respond to fielded questions that had been supplied uh, by employees in advance of the meeting. He just ignored them. Instead of addressing employee concerns around the takeover and ongoing sexual harassment lawsuit, he discussed Microsoft's interest in the metaverse and joked that employees wouldn't have to migrate to Microsoft Teams. Ah. Jesus Christ. He couldn't wear his like contempt more openly on his snot-covered sleeve. Yeah, like he just doesn't give a fucking shit. It's yeah, it's an open display of I don't have to care. I'm too rich to care. I will probably get richer and be able to walk away from this. Yeah. Yeah. I would take that as a very clear, deliberate message that he does not have to give a shit and he knows it. Yeah. Pathetic little man. I know, right? Last little bits of Activision Blizzard stuff. Bobby Kotick says that the share price of Activision Blizzard dropping low enough for Microsoft to buy it was nothing to do with any of the lawsuits or har harassment allegations. None of that. Really? It's because Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4 got delayed. Oh. Yeah. Which, if true, is only a ringing indictment of the investors. Yeah. Which, yeah, it tracks. But also we have seen, like, how their share, like, their stocks have been responding to these lawsuits and they have gone down directly after. So not only is it, a lie on Bobby Kotick's part. The fact that there is still gonna be truth to it makes all of them scum. And the state treasurers. I mean, come on. It's so full of shit. Yeah. The state treasurers all came out and said, whoa, we're worried about our investment on this basis. No, that doesn't fly. It's nonsense. No. It is both true and untrue, is the thing. The delays will have done it. Sure. And I'm sure there are many shareholders who care way more about that than the allegations. But the allegations had a fucking impact. Yep. It's, we discussed last week as well, like this is just one of several ways in which Activision has been openly, blatantly dishonest about the controversies. Yeah. And if nothing else, those game delays are probably because you didn't want to release a game while the controversy was happening. A couple of little other tidbits we got. The next three Call of Duty games are apparently contractually obligated to come to PlayStation. So if there is any attempt to make Call of Duty a, a an exclusive to Xbox, that's not going to pan out for a few years. There will be a few years yet before that becomes a thing, if it does. But it's going to take a couple of years for the merger to go through anyway. And so by the time it's done, it might be a... Call of Duty that doesn't make it, so... Yeah. yeah. This is one of those, like, it's no skin off Microsoft's nose. No. Like, they're winning either way. Like, their their pockets are lined no matter what. Like, it can go on PlayStation, and if this happens, 
after the merger's complete, Microsoft will make money. Or it could stay exclusive to Xbox and Microsoft will make money. Yep. Yeah. And the last story, just to throw in quickly as we wrap up, um, a new report published by Polygon has detailed a long-term culture of crunch at TT Games, uh, which I believe used to be Traveller's Tales, Mm -hmm. the developer behind the main LEGO series of licensed titles. Mm -hmm. I'll skim over the specifics. Overtime was supposed to be voluntary and paid, but from 2010 onwards that became mixed. Eventually it got so bad that mandatory 80 to 100 hour weeks were not uncommon. Um, Once again, conditions were worst for QA staff. There is a terrible pay gap for women at the company. All the same fucking hits being trotted out, so... Like, it's the game industry. The game industry is fucking rotten. Said it before, say it again. This is what the game industry is. Yeah. The whole thing needs changing. Yeah. And now I must sprint away from the depressing news. Because today's schedule is a lot. Well, before you sprint off, tell tell people where to find you and then we'll get out of here. Ah, Laura K. Buzz on all the places. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. I finally got to announce another book I'm doing. It's called Me and My Dysphoria Monster. It is a, a an illustrated children's book about gender dysphoria and trying to explain that in ways that are child-friendly vocabulary. Uh, it's coming out on August 18th. If you check out my Twitter, you can see the front cover of it, see the art style. It looks lovely. I'm so happy about this book. It's got the sterling seal of approval. I can tell you all right now, it's a very good book. Oh, heck yeah. What, what about the other two of you? Oh, you can find uh, me on Twitter and Instagram at Conrad Zimmerman. You can hang out with me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman. I stream a few days a week at a variety of different times, so maybe one of those works for you. Uh, you can buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pinfiltruth.com and audiobooks from me at conradreads.com. You could also hear me on the podcast Let's Talk About Snacks with Lauren Morgan and Linda Camiolo and on Boston's Favorite Son whenever we do that again and on the spinoff Doctors coming back in February, I promise. And everything I do gets supported online through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? It's James Stephanie Sterling. James Stephanie Sterling, who is never watching Monster Hunter again. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. I also stream Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. God, I do not know if the announcement of Commander Sterling's UK stuff will be out by... It won't be. But very soon, very soon news on where Commander Sterling is going to debut in the UK will be coming. So I'm very excited about that. I actually have training tomorrow, so I'm very, very excited. Um, yeah, so that's that. Laura's got to push off, so we're a little bit short, a little bit under an hour, but it's this was a very good podcast nonetheless. I think so. I think it was very, very good. Um, right, we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.